Good morning. Let's continue that prayer. God, that's our heart's desire, is that you would speak. Speak, O oh Lord. God, that's what we need. We need your voice. We're hopeless. God, if all we have are my words, Lord, speak, O oh Lord. God, like Moses prayed, may my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim your name, Lord. I will ascribe greatness to you, Lord. You are the rock. Your work is perfect. All your ways are justice. You are a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright are you. God, we are desperate to hear from you this morning, Lord. And we ask that you would be exalted in this time. God, fill our hearts with love for Christ. Fill our hearts with love for your word. Make us a people that love you more than anything else. We worship you, Father. And we pray all these things in the only name that we can come in. The only name that gives us the access to your throne. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So I feel like this is week two of our study on the sovereignty of God in the pulpit. You have to listen to me this week. And I am absolutely thrilled to be speaking with everyone. And I always love to hear a sermon in the rain. I always, and I'm assuming I'm going to enjoy preaching in the rain. I've never done that. But this is the verse that's always in my mind when I hear the rain and the preaching of God's word at the same time. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so this is a constant reminder that as I'm speaking to you the word of God, just like this rain is watering the earth and things are going to grow after it, that this is God's word. It never returns empty. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it's sent. And so I'm being reminded of that right now so the passage that we're going to be looking at is Colossians 3.16. So y'all can go ahead and turn there. And my goal for today is to exalt Jesus. I want to exalt Christ to you. I want to encourage the lost that might be here to turn to Christ. I want, to, I want the saved to treasure Christ. I want to see our church edified. And encourage, and I want to see true worship spread throughout the entire church. And with those as my lofty goals, let's read Colossians 3.16 together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness 
in your hearts to God. And this is God's word to us. And just at the outset, as we read this, maybe this is a common verse. Maybe this is something you've heard many, many times. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But one thing that I don't want to assume is, what is the word of Christ? You kind of have to start there, don't you? What is the word of Christ that we're supposed to let dwell in us richly? And I want to answer that question from the book of Colossians. Because I think the context of Colossians helps us understand exactly what Paul means by let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So what is the word of the truth in Colossians 1.5? The gospel. Go to Colossians 1.25-27. Paul says of his ministry, Of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 25, it says, to make the word of God fully known. And what is that word of God in Colossians 1.25? The mystery. The mystery, which is Christ in you. It's the gospel. Flip over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul prays, he says, or he asks the Colossians to pray for him. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. What's the word he's hoping to have a door open for in Colossians chapter 4. It's the gospel. It's that mystery. It's the thing that he was in jail for. And so what I want to encourage us with, and I want us to consider this morning as we even just begin to look at this passage. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but I want to sharpen the image just a little bit. That when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he means something more than the Bible generally and he means the gospel specifically. It's the message of Christ. It's the word of Christ. It's the word about Jesus. That's the way he's used it all throughout Colossians. And you get to Colossians 3.16 and he says, Let the word of Christ, that word of Jesus Christ, let it dwell in you richly. And you've, we've already seen that just in Colossians 3.16. Because... Something that we can't see in our English Bibles, but we can see in the Greek, it says, let the word singular, the word of Christ, not the words of Christ, but the word of Christ specifically. It's a message. I've definitely heard this verse used to uh, encourage others to scripture memory. And the Bible is chock full of scripture memory verses. So memorize the Bible, but 
And think Psalm 11911. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we could go on and on. But Paul is encouraging the, the Colossians to something specific. Let the word of Christ, the gospel, dwell in you richly. And so that's where we're starting. What is the word of Christ? It's the gospel. But more specifically, what is the word of Christ? Do you know it? Do you know the word of Christ? Do you know that great message that Paul says is to dwell in you richly? Colossians 1, 25 and 27, again, or sorry, Colossians 1, 5 and 6. It's the word by which men and women hear and understand the grace of God and truth. Colossians 1, 25 through 27. It's the mystery that God indwells all believers, Jew and Gentile. It's the message that the apostles were willing to suffer persecution and imprisonment for and prayed that they would get a chance to say it in, in their chains. Do you know it? Have you heard about the great God who created the world and everything in it? That he created all things by the word of his power and now upholds the same things by the word of his power? How he created men and women in his image and he put them in a paradise. And he gave them the most liberal of commands. He said, eat anything out of this garden except one tree. You can have anything you want but that one tree. And Satan deceived that first man and that first woman. And he said, he made them question the character of God. And he made them question the word of God. He said, God's holding something back from you, don't you know? You could be like him if you just had that fruit he won't let you have. Your eyes are going to be opened. Did he really say, don't eat this? And he deceived them. And man and woman rebelled against God in the hopes that they would be like God. But of course, God found that out. And God cast them out of his presence. Cast them out of the presence of God. And we have followed in their footsteps. We are the ones who have been deceived. We are the ones who, although we know the commands of God, the tempter has convinced us that God's holding out on us. He's keeping us from something good, isn't he? With these, all these commandments. He's caused us to question the word of God and the character of God. And we choose to ignore God's law. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Honor your father and your mother. And we say, no, God. And we rebel against God. And we would choose rather to dethrone God that we might be God instead. And according to God's word, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are haters of God, and we are morally incapable of rectifying that situation, of reconciling ourselves to God. We have offended the Almighty God, and the wrath of God hangs over us all. And it was in this hopeless state that these beautiful words, For God so loved the world... 
He knew we would sin. He knew we would rebel. He knew we would deserve his wrath. And while we were still sinners, this is when God chose to show his love to us. He knew that our attempts at reconciliation would be futile. Do good stuff, we said to ourselves, and we'll be all right. Just be good enough. And it falls so short of the glory of God. It was hopeless. So God came. To quote Isaiah 59, 16, God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. God came. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus lived that life that we should have lived. He's the one who didn't rebel. He's the one who perfectly obeyed God, the one who always did what pleased the Father, John 8, 29. And although he lived a perfect life, he was murdered, crucified on a Roman cross. And the question is, why? Why did he die? For the wages of sin is death, not him, never sinned. Why did he die? Was it for his own sin? No. And we have to know something about the character of God, that God is a holy and good God, that God is a just judge and angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 711. God in his justice can't sweep your sins under the rug. He can't overlook your sins like they don't matter because he's good. And a good God would never do that. He can't leave evil unpunished lest he himself be unjust. And this is why Christ died. God was providing a substitute. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament leading up to this moment that the Lamb of God was laid in our place. The Lamb of God was the substitute for our sins and the wrath of God that we deserve was poured out on him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know that? That Christ on the cross became the liar, became the thief, became the adulterer, became the murderer, the dishonoring parents, the idolater. That Christ took the sin of every Christian off of them and laid onto himself and Christ was crucified and bore the wrath of God in your place. God is just. Forever proven at the cross, He's just. That righteous wrath that should have fallen on you fell on Him instead. And in that holy moment, your sins were taken away. And that's not all. The righteous life of Jesus. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteous standing of Jesus Christ. All of his righteous deeds were laid on your account. Not only were your sins taken away. But you received righteousness. 
Not your righteousness, not your futile attempts at being at standing right with God, but the very righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ himself. And so God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And how do, you, how do we know this to be true? Because Christ died for our sins? Yes. But even more because he rose from the dead. The one who promises eternal life beat death. Who are you trusting for eternal life? A dead man or, a, or an alive man? We're trusting the one who beat death. He was laid in a tomb on a Friday and on Sunday morning. He was alive. The one who intercedes for you has an indestructible life, Hebrews 7, 16. The Son of God reigns forever. He is undisputedly who he said he was. And all of the promises are yes and amen in Christ. And this blessed gospel is effective toward all who repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation. This is the word of Christ. And let that dwell in you richly. And let's be clear about one thing. The word of Christ can't dwell in you richly if you're not saved. If you don't know Christ in a saving way, the, this commandment is impossible for you. So what you should do if you don't know Christ in that way is you should repent and believe the gospel and then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But for those of us who know the gospel and believe it, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I want to say what this doesn't say. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It doesn't say, just know the gospel, even though that's obviously necessary. Know the gospel. The command is, be filled up with it. The command is not, remember that stuff you knew in college? Like, that's good enough. It says, let it dwell in you right now. Let it dwell in you right now, richly. Let the gospel set up house in you and display the riches of Christ. So it kind of begs the question, right? Jake, I want to do that. How do I do that? And the first thing I'll say is, you can't. See y'all later. Uh, that's not very helpful, is it? You can't. But before you get discouraged, look at how the command is worded. It says, let the word of Christ do something. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is something that comes from beyond you. This is something that has to be worked in you by God and by His Spirit. I think that's why in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, which is kind of a, almost an exact parallel of this passage, Paul says to them, Be filled with the Spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God has to be the one that works this in you. And so first and foremost, if this is what you desire, then, then you should be a person of prayer, a person who says, God, do it. But second, there is something that we can do. There's something that we can be active in. And so what is our responsibility in letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly? And here's what I want to say. We should really know the gospel. We should really know the gospel. Fill your mind with the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. Discuss the gospel. Sing the gospel. Marinate your mind on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my question is, where is this knowledge going to come from? Where are you going to find this deep knowledge of God, this deep knowledge of the gospel? It's going to come from a careful reading and studying of God's word. You might be thinking, Jake, didn't you just say this isn't a passage about scripture memory? Yes. This is not just a passage about scripture memory. But it is absolutely a call to mine the riches of Scripture to find the treasure of Christ. It's called the Word of Christ for a reason. So what I want to encourage you to do, hear the Word of Christ preached. Be active. Come. Hear God's Word preached. Hear the Gospel exalted. Read the word of Christ daily. Memorize the word of Christ. Meditate on the word of Christ. Study the word of Christ. Do you want to find treasure? You ever seen someone search for treasure? It's, it's not done in laziness. They dig where they know they can find gold. So dig. Fill up on Christ. Don't be content with just meager portions of Christ, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what's the effect of the richly indwelling word? What happens when the word of Christ dwells in you richly? Let's just read Colossians 3.16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs. What's the first thing that you get from this richly indwelling word? You begin to see corporate benefits. You begin to see teaching and admonishing, singing together. When the word of Christ dwells richly, it has corporate benefits. And, and you can see it right there. It says, teach and admonish one another. And we've actually already seen that this is a corporate command, even though I didn't say it yet. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The, the word you, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, is the Greek y'all, as Dustin would say. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. He's talking to a group. This is something that's to be done corporately. 
It's a corporate command. And it even isn't the first time in Colossians that he said something like this. Flip over to Colossians 2.19. This is kind of in the... He's kind of rebuking a certain type of person. But in verse 19, he says that these people are not holding fast to the head. Which we know from other verses in this passage is Christ. They're not holding fast to Christ. But listen to what happens in verse 19 if they were to hold fast to the head. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. You see it there? That this holding fast to the head, this holding fast to Christ has corporate benefits? That the whole church, if the church is doing that, then the whole church is built up. And it's the same here. The church is built up when the word of Christ dwells in y'all, us, richly. So my question is, do you want to see GCC flourish? Do you want to see us grow with a growth that's from God? Hold fast to the head. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. More specifically, that's generally, but more specifically, what is it? What are the means by which God is causing this growth, these corporate benefits? And it says teaching and admonishing one another. The natural outflowing of having a heart with the word of Christ dwelling in you richly is that you want to love and encourage your brothers and sisters. We're to teach the uninformed. We're to warn the straying or the idle. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And doesn't it? When your heart is full of Christ, you know what's going to come out? Christ. And I say that purposefully. Christ is what comes out of our teaching and admonishing. The phrase, in all wisdom, is, is kind of like a, a clue that I should probably look somewhere else because I've, I remember reading through Colossians going, that, that sounds familiar, in all wisdom. Go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And verse 20, the end of 27 says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to verse 28. Him we proclaim. Who? Jesus. Him we proclaim, warning everyone. And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you see that? What is it that they're proclaiming in their teaching and admonishing? What is it that they're proclaiming that once they're done doing that, people are presented mature in Christ? What is it? It's Christ. That's literally the same exact words that's used in Colossians 3.16. Where it says, warning Teaching and warning, warning and admonishing. These words are the same. And really, if you look to chapter 2, verse 2, it says the knowledge, sorry, verse 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we teach and admonish with Christ. 
It's the proclamation of Jesus. The people of Christ, indwelled by the word of Christ, can't help but speak of Christ. And I'm going to take it a step further. They can't help but speak of Christ, but they can't help but sing of Christ. Look at that. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Psalm 13, 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Has he? Has he? Has he dealt bountifully with you? What's your, what is your natural response? I will sing to the Lord. The Christian who has meditated and marinated on the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ must sing. It's the most natural thing when considering how bountifully he has dealt with us. Some of you, I'm going to call you out, might be saying yes. Jake, that is awesome for those singing Christians. I'm glad, I'm glad there are singing Christians, but I just don't sing. And I want to ruin that for you. I want to take that excuse out of every mouth. And what I'm going to say this, I'm going to read it because I want to say it specifically. This is exactly what I mean. There aren't any Christ-like Christians who don't sing. And I'm not just saying that because I do the music. There aren't any Christ-like Christians who don't sing. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus sings. Jesus sings in the midst of the congregation. There's no one who's seeking to be like Christ who can say, I don't want to sing. Because Jesus sings. You want to be like Jesus, sing. You know why Christians are a singing people? Because we have something to sing about. And as the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we will sing. And to sharpen it even more, the teaching and admonishing that's, to, that's supposed to be happening is partially going to happen through the singing of God's people. That parallel passage that I mentioned earlier, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, it actually says it like this. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The corporate nature of our singing is being highlighted here. Worship is ultimately to God. That's how this verse ends. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Our worship is ultimately to God. And yet, we are to be addressing one another as we sing. And, and some of the most impactful times of worship here have been looking up and seeing someone that I know is grieving. And I see them singing, When peace like a river 
attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Or when I look at a brother and sister singing joyfully, nothing in all the earth, not any height above, could ever tear us from your everlasting love. It lifts my heart and my eyes to Christ when I look up and I see the church of Christ singing. I'm taught, I'm admonished in the singing. So sing. And what types of songs does it say we're singing? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These are songs full of Christ and songs full of the Bible. Remember, this is that same thing. Teaching, teaching and admonishing, whatever I said about teaching and admonishing goes in here. Full of Christ and full of the Bible. So we sing a variety of songs that exalt Christ and edify the body. So I've convinced you you should sing, and you're so you're like, okay, whatever, I'll be grudgingly, I'll sing. If I'm going to be like Jesus, I guess I'll sing. Is that, how, is that how this passage lets you off the hook? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. With thankfulness. The corporate singing for the Christian is not just cerebral. It's not just in the head. The heart is supposed to be engaged in worship. The heart is supposed to be filled with thankfulness. Imagine the inconsistency. All week long, you've let your mind just marinate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How you were a rebel against God, destined for hell, and the God of the universe stepped down to save sent his only son to die for you. And you now have the hope of heaven. And you're not filled with gratitude? May it never be. And I'm not talking about emotionalism or the worship of emotion. But what I'm talking about is what Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. He says, you hypocrites... Well did Isaiah prophesy to, of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Could you imagine walking out of this place and hearing Jesus say, You worshiped me in vain. You said the right things, but your heart was a million miles away. And I'm not telling you to manufacture thankfulness or manufacture emotion or affection. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, that's how you're going to sing. That's how you will sing. We know that God loves us. So let's worship him accordingly. And so what does this mean? I've kind of thrown in application this whole way through. But I want us to make some real application 
What does this mean for me? What does it mean for all of us? And the first thing I'll say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you know the gospel? Do you know it in a saving way? Possibly you're listening and you're going, I'm just not converted. This is not my experience with the word of Christ. I might not be converted. Then turn to Christ. Do it now. It's genu- if you're still breathing breath, it's not too late. Come to Christ. Put away sin. Put away your other God. Put away pride. Whatever it is. And trust Christ died even for you. He has not. And he will never. Turn away a sinner. Who comes to him in faith and repentance. But for those of us who are Christians. Does it dwell in you richly? If I would have approached you before this and said, how's your, under, how's your relationship with the word of Christ? Would, you have, would the first words out of your mouth have been rich, filled up with it, full of Christ, full of the gospel? Or would you say, maybe with shame, you know what, probably not where I want it to be. Don't fear. Start now. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Take up the word of God and fill up on Christ. Hear the word. Read the word. Memorize the word. Meditate on the word. Study the word of God. Be like the bride in Song of Solomon. Listen to this in Song of Solomon 3, verses 1 through 4. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. You hear the despair? I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go. Be like that. Open your Bible and say, in the middle of 2 Chronicles, say, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Have you seen him? I can't, I'm looking for him. Can you help me? Call a brother. Have you seen him? Have you seen him whom my soul loves? And when you find him, don't let him go. And let's be honest. No one has the word of Christ dwelling in them richly enough. No one has enough of Christ. Hear what Charles Spurgeon says. The heart is as insatiable as the grave till Jesus enters it. And then it is a cup full to overflowing. There is such a fullness in Christ that he alone is the believer's all. The true saint is so completely satisfied 
with the all-sufficiency of Jesus that he thirsts no more except it be for deeper draughts of the living fountain. In that sweet manner, believer, shalt thou thirst. It shall not be a thirst of pain, but of loving desire. Thou wilt find a sweet thing to be panting after a fuller enjoyment of Jesus' love. Amen. The second thing is to take that richly indwelling word and teach and admonish your brothers and sisters. Don't keep it in. Call somebody. Text somebody. Get coffee with somebody. Write a letter. But don't keep it in. Teach and admonish one another. Let the body build itself up in love as we hold fast to Christ. Uh, I remember hearing someone ask one of our pastors at this church. They said it was early on and they really wanted to be helpful. And they said, man, how can I help? Please, help, please like, uh, is there any way that I can serve in some way, do this thing? And our pastor looked at that person and said, man, if you really want to help the church, why don't you go home and love Christ? Yes. Go home and love Christ. Do you want to really, really help our church? Do you really want to help GCC? Then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because what's going to happen after that is that you're going to teach and admonish one another. That people are going to be built up and encouraged. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then finally, sing. Let the songs that we sing serve as an encouragement to your soul. Fill this gathering with glorious praise. I can't wait till we get rid of these masks. I can hear my own self sing, and that's fine. But I want to hear you sing. I, thank you. <laughs> Everybody else says we don't want to hear you sing either. <laughs> no, but I want to hear us all sing. Why, why am I up here? Why do I do anything that I do so that you can sing? We, get to, we gather together and I want to hear glorious praises. I want the word of Christ to be dwelling in you richly. So that when we, and we're about to sing this song, and I'm super excited, because what we're going to sing is, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. It's so natural. It's the only, it's the only thing I can think. I'm, the word of Christ is in you richly. All I have is Christ. Fill this place with glorious praise. Have your heart engaged. Not emotionalism, but let the truth of God drive you to have real affection for God. Be thankful. And I sympathize with every person who's going, but you don't have your kids standing right beside you sometimes. Got to go to the bathroom. Got to tell you a secret when you sing, all I have is Christ. Right? And sometimes you might be distracted, and I completely sympathize with you. But don't let it be because the word's not dwelling in you richly. Don't let it be, and I can sympathize here too, with our own laziness and idleness. I'm standing up there singing, and I'm distracted. Which is why I need to look up and see my brothers and sisters. 
and be encouraged. Oh, I'm singing to God right now. Let's fight to have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly so that when we come on Sunday, our heart is overflowing with thankfulness to God, even in the midst of the distractions. And just a side note regarding your children. This week, you know, did your children see you sing the Mississippi State fight song more zealously than the praises of the living God? Did you shout, Hari Tari, more zealously than you would have shouted a hallelujah? Don't let them see that. You say you're not singing. You're not a singing person. Well, sometimes you are. When you see the glory of that touchdown or something like that. May it never be. Let's commit to say never again. Let's let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. I want to close with the end of that Charles Spurgeon quote that I began earlier. It says, One in days of yore said, I have been sinking my bucket down into the well full often. But now my thirst after Jesus has become so insatiable that I long to put the well itself to my lips and drink right on. Is this the feeling of thine heart now, believer? Dost thou feel that all thy desires are satisfied in Jesus, and that thou hast no want now but to know more of him and to have closer fellowship with him? Then come continually to that fountain and take of the water of life freely. Jesus will never think you take too much, but will ever welcome you, saying, Drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. Let's pray. O God, we love you, Lord. But we don't love you like we ought. We love your word. But it doesn't dwell in us richly like it ought. God, we want to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That we would teach and admonish one another. That we would sing with hearts full of gratitude. That you would receive real glorious praise. So God, fill us with your spirit. Work in us that which is pleasing to you. God, take your word. And as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, God, let it water us. Let it accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. It will not return empty, God. And we worship you. We praise you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.